Well, what a privilege for me to uh, introduce someone I've met one time, but I've heard about him much, done some reading uh, of things that he has written, but uh, his name will be familiar to many of you, Lee Strobel. Welcome, Lee. So glad you're with us. Thanks so much, Randy. Great to be with you. Let me give a little bit more background. I think many of you are familiar with Lee, but I love his bio. The first line is here, he's an atheist turned Christian, Lee Strobel, former award-winning legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, and also a New York Times bestselling author, more than 40 books and curricula that have sold, wow, 14 million copies. That's quite a few, my friend. He currently serves as the founder director of Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. He attended and graduated from Yale Law School. I went, I didn't go to Yale, but I did go to George Washington University Law School. Uh, He was a journalist for 14 years at the Chicago Tribune and other newspapers. And he won some amazing awards as a result of that. But what I really like in his bio, this is really good, Lee, after probing the evidence for Jesus for nearly two years, isn't that amazing? He became a Christian in 1981, subsequently be became the teaching pastor at three of America's largest churches and hosted the National Network TV program, Faith Under Fire. Also, he taught First Amendment law at Roosevelt University, was professor of Christian thought at Houston Baptist University. And many of us know him, uh, certainly for his book, The Case for Christ, and was turned into a a great movie, award-winning motion picture called The Case for Christ, shown in theaters around the world. He and his wife, uh, Leslie, been married 49 years. I'm told, by the way, the first 49 are the hardest, Lee, and then it's just (laughs) just downhill. Their daughter, Allison, is a novelist, homeschooling expert, and son, Kyle, professor of spiritual theology at Talbot School of Theology in Biola University. So again, thank you for taking a few minutes to join us today, Lee. Really appreciate it. I'm glad to do it. I appreciate you and all you're doing. Uh, Thanks, bro. Anyhow, we've got, uh, you know, we've, we're facing, uh, you know, the thing with Ukraine and so on internationally, but as a nation, even before the Ukraine thing, I mean, we've really, we've got some amazing challenges um, for followers of Christ in our country today. And I guess a beginning question, are, are we winning or losing the battle at this point, my friend? Well, that is a good question. I think internationally, uh, Christianity is spreading at a, uh, a very fast pace. Mm-hmm. A lot of wonderful things happening internationally. Domestic yeah. in the United States, uh, we're, we're seeing some struggles. Uh, it's said that Generation Z, the youngest folks, uh, this is the first generation where their default position spiritually is skepticism. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're seeing increased skepticism. We're seeing churches, I think... Um, uh, not as effective as we need to be in terms of reaching mm-hmm. people with the gospel. It takes 86 church members working one year to lead one person to faith. That's, that's a formula for the demise of the church. That's uh, true. true. American churches are declined or uh, mm-hmm. stagnant. Uh, 10 are closing permanently every day. Wow. Uh, one estimate is that between now and the year 2050, over 30 million um, uh, people raised in Christian families will walk away from the faith. So we're facing significant challenges, and, um, but I don't think they're insurmountable. And um, the good news is the gospel still works. 
I yes. still see many young people still coming to faith. Yes. Um, and and uh, so that's that's the best news that, um, mm-hmm. you know, our strongest uh, weapon, which is the uh, word of God and the uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, still are changing hearts and changing lives. Yeah. So we need to, you know, penetrate and, and get more into what is going on. In fact, I saw this statistic that relates, I think, at least in part to what you just said. The five nations that are where the church is growing the fastest is the place where the Christians in that nation are under persecution. Yeah. Whereas the five nations where the church is in decline or not growing at all, including the United States, is the area where it's you're free to worship. Yeah. Do you think that ties in at all? Is there a connection there, do you think? Well, I remember back during the uh, time when Romania was under a tight-fisted communist rule, and uh, one of the leaders of the church there said, you know, the underground church, they said, uh, we're like a nail. Uh, The harder you hit us, the deeper we go. Wow. I love uh, that. I love that. I think it's a good image. Was that Richard Vermbrand, or was that someone else? That was somebody else. Okay. Certainly, Wormbrand has is known for his. Um, he uh, actually he came to my campus when I was like a oh, freshman or sophomore. Oh. Took his oh, shirt no, off, no. showed all the holes that he had, you know, had put in him, and yeah, he's, he, this is what he said. I'll never forget what he said. You'll appreciate this. Similar, I like your statement. I'd never heard that one before, but he said he said in Romania. I'm using his accent here. Yeah, we have one kind of Christian, Christ-like Christian. He said, in America, you have lots of kinds of Christians, you know, just you guys got to be all in like we had to be. If you were going to be a follower of Christ in a nation where you're being persecuted, you got a choice, don't you? You, You're either going to say, I'm in. If you kill me, lock me up, whatever it is. But in America, it's been so easy. Yeah, Maybe, Maybe too easy. What do you think? Well, I think that's part of it. I think, um, you know, that we have a lot of easy believism. We have Mm. people who uh, uh, are uh, Christian in name only and um, uh, who believe that if they're born in America, they're automatically Christian. Yeah, right, right. So that's a challenge. I think, too, though, um, one of the things I've tried to do, because I want to I want to be proactive. I want to leave a legacy uh, in terms of encouraging the local churches to be more effective in evangelism. Mm -hmm. So we started a center at Colorado Christian University called mm-hmm. the Lee Global Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we, we've been propagating is a six-stage process that when churches follow it, it increases their evangelistic effectiveness mm-hmm. um, uh, significantly. Okay. Um, and I'll go through it really, really quickly. Yeah, would you? Yeah, I'd love to, love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, but there's one element that's, I think, particularly important. Yeah, that'd be very helpful. The, the six stages or six uh, points are, number one, the leaders of the church, the senior yes. pastor, the leaders, must own and model evangelistic values. Okay, good. They must own and model it personally. Number mm. two, they must instill those values into the congregation. Okay. And there's a variety of ways to do that. Yep. Number three, and I think this is pivotal, every church, I believe, needs an evangelistic point person. 
a person under the direction of the senior pastor who will lead the charge in evangelism. In a small okay. church, it's a volunteer. Mm-hmm. In a larger church, it's part-time. In a yep. big church, it's full-time. Yep. But every church, nothing gets done in a local church without a name assigned to it. Okay. And so I think that lack of leadership has really hurt us. Okay. Then number four, what that evangelism point person does, number four, is train 100% of the congregation on how to naturally and effectively share their faith in Jesus. And both mm-hmm. words are important to share it in a natural way that syncs up with their own personality yes, and, yes. and an effective way that accurately conveys the gospel. That's great. Stage, stage five is we need to um, coalesce and unleash the gifted evangelists in yeah. the local church. About 1%, the, the number has decreased in recent years, but about 1% of the typical church is composed of people who have a spiritual gift of yeah. evangelism. I'm married, I'm married to one, by the way. Okay. I yeah. mean, she is, uh, when we're first married, do, right? I say, what is it about you? You know, yeah. you, we can't get on an airplane with, but she doesn't beat people over the head. Yeah. The, you know, the family Bible is just so natural and yes. it's amazing. And she yes. is amazing. And there are people like that who yeah. have an anointing by God, and yep. God uses them in a disproportionate way to reach yes, people. Totally, we, need to, totally. we, need to, we need to equip them and train them, but not take them out of their ministries in the church. No. Periodically bring them in for special training and then send them back into the women's ministries and I men's love it. ministries and children's ministries and so forth. And then number uh, six mm-hmm. is to create um, outreach ministries and events at the church. Um, because the average Christian needs help. Uh, it's mm-hmm. hard for them to go out and initiate a conversation, yes. at least yes. the faith and so forth. Yes. They need some help. And so when we can create opportunities for them to bring their non-believing friend to a, an event or a mm-hmm. church service, a musical concert, a movie or whatever, sure, sure. that helps them. And I think the biggest innovation here uh, is, has been small groups for non-believers. Mm-hmm. Um, we call them spiritual discovery groups. These are dynamite. Uh, we uh-huh. experimented with these in Chicago. We soon had 1,100 non-believers in these groups, uh-huh. and we tracked them over a period of years and found that 80% of them came to faith in Christ. That is awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anybody can learn to use to do these groups. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're powerful. They're powerful. So um, uh, that, that's a six-stage framework, and I, I think it. the key to that is leadership. You know, I have a friend, uh, Carl, uh, who's a successful business guy. Yeah. And he said once, he said, you know, Lee, um, to be successful in business, you only have to do two things right. I said, really? What do you have to do? He said, well, first, you got to keep your present customers happy. Mm-hmm. And then second, you got to reach new customers. <laughs> and then he looked at me and he said, in the average church, who's in charge of new business? Who's in charge of reaching the community for Christ? The pastor can't do it by himself. He can't do it all. He's got a million responsibilities. He needs a right-hand man or woman who's going to lead that charge and and, um, be a leader who's going to coalesce the evangelism uh, uh, um, initiatives of the church. And when we see that happening, we see great things taking place. And so what we've done is I gathered 40 PhDs. Um, we've created 91 courses, all online and all fully accredited. You can get a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in being that point person or just being more effective in evangelism. 
Hmm. Or we have certificate courses where people don't want another degree, but they sure. want to take a course on the sure. evidence for the resurrection or That's on great. small group evangelism or on uh, science and faith or whatever mm-hmm. can do that at their own pace online. So uh, at strobelcenter.com, uh, all the information is there for people who might be interested. But um, I really think leadership is a, um, a, a huge need in the local church. All right, let's just get that uh... That URL, it's Strobel, S-T-R-O-B-E-L, center.com, right? Right, right. That'll All take right. you to our, our program. That's excellent. Boy, that's that's very helpful. That's good. Thanks. So now you, how old were you when you came to Faith in Christ? Golly, I was about 30 years old. Okay. And you, your wife was a Christ follower, if I understand the story. She, she had been agnostic. Okay, um, yeah. She, she met a Christian who was a nurse who became her best friend, shared okay. the gospel with her, invited her to church. Oh, that's so My good. My wife uh, eventually came to faith, and um, then I thought that was the worst news I could possibly get. <laughs> uh, I was, I was going to divorce her, to be honest. Wow. And uh, But uh, then I thought I could rescue her from this cult if I could just disprove Christianity. Wow. So I, I focused on the resurrection of Jesus, spent yeah. two years investigating the historical evidence yeah. for that. Yeah. Ultimately becoming convinced that Jesus didn't just claim to be the son of God, but yeah. he backed up that claim yeah. by returning from the dead. Yeah. See, I think that's so important that it's not just, you know, so much of our modern culture is about feelings. You know, I just feel this feel. Well, I just feel that Jesus rose from the dead. So I'll be a Christian and you feel he wasn't. So you don't have to be. Okay. I've told this to people and really this really uh, parallels what, what Paul had to say. If Jesus didn't on a specific day in, in, in history, specific day, and a specific place in geography, physically come back to life again. I don't care how nice I feel being a Christian. I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. It's either true or it's not. And that just blows so many people. Oh, no, don't do it. There is such a thing as truth. That's right. And what people get, you say, what you said is exactly right. People mixed up the difference between truth and preferences. Yes. I I can say I like chocolate ice cream cones. That's my preference. I I like them. They they taste good to me. And you can say, well, I don't like those. I like strawberry. And that's fine. But truth is different. Truth is defined as that which corresponds to reality. That's right. And That's so it. we need to find out what is true. And we yeah. look at various things. And one yeah. of them is history. One of them is evidence and so yep. forth. I was trained at Yale Law School and what evidence is. And yep. Yep. the evidence is clear and convincing for Christianity. Yeah, that's so good. You know, it was the, uh, the dean of Harvard Law School many years before either you or I were on this planet. And uh, he he. He was a skeptic. He was yeah. an atheist. I don't know if you know that story, but yeah, yeah. Simon Greenleaf. I read Simon Greenleaf. There you go. Yeah. And he he finally came to the conclusion that the evidence for the resurrection of Christ is admissible in the court of law, at least in his day. Yeah. And he became a follower of Christ as well. Yeah. And another more contemporary example is uh, Sir Lionel Luck, who, who was in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most successful defense attorney in the world. He is that right? trials in a row than anybody in history 
And he was a skeptic about the resurrection. He understood what evidence was. He understood what constitutes reliable evidence. Yeah. And uh, someone challenged him to take his monumental legal skill and apply it to the historical record. So yeah. he spent several years investigating the resurrection. And I'll recite to you one sentence he wrote okay. that summarizes his conclusion. He, say, he said, quote, I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Oh, I love that. that is and so I'll good. tell you something funny. I was telling his story one day at Saddleback Church in Southern California, yeah. where I had just become a teaching pastor. Sure. And afterwards, this woman came up to me and she said, I'm your new neighbor. You moved into our neighborhood. I said, oh, that's great. She said, yeah, and I'm Sir Lionel's sister. <laughs> that is too good. Sister. He actually um, yeah. left his law practice and became a traveling evangelist. Oh, I love it. And, uh, and she it. gave me some of his private papers. And, oh, that's and good. But isn't that funny? Yeah, it is funny. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was a Christian in high school, and then I went to undergrad. I was at MIT in Boston. Yeah. And uh, if you had asked me when I went there as a freshman, why should I become a Christian? I would have said something like, well, it'd make you feel better. Yeah. Well, I guess who came to Boston my freshman year? guy named Dr. Francis Schaefer. Oh, yeah. He said, you know, if you want to feel good, take drugs. <laughs> he said it is true truth. Yeah. And boy, that just so was I needed to hear that. And, yeah. and, and then it was kind of funny that after I graduated law school, was a judge. I heard Schaefer speak to the Christian Legal Society. Yeah, it was at Notre Dame. And I mean, this room, this it's a big auditorium, just full of, quote, Christian lawyers, right? So Shaver's up there, and what a guy he was. But he said, okay, and he was answering a question, and then he just stopped himself. He says, you know what? Here I am talking all about how the legal system needs to reflect the truth of God and God's word. You guys should have been writing this, he says to all these Christian lawyers. And then he says, what do you think a Christian lawyer is? someone who puts Christian periodicals in their waiting room. Mm. And there was just this sense of <gasps> the whole room. It was like a vacuum. You know, the air was just sucked out of the room. It's like he nailed it. Yeah. Because that is unfortunately what too many quote Christian lawyers feel is a Christian lawyer. Yeah. You know, his practice is totally divorced or different from what, you know, what he's supposed to be as a follower of Jesus. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, we absolutely. run into that, don't we? Yep, absolutely. That's a great story. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how someone uh, with his discernment and his uh, boldness uh, is yes. able to distill it down to a, a statement that just rocks us to the core. It does, Lee. It really does. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> another another concern. I just wanted to get get at this because you know we've seen it unfortunately in the American church. We've seen some leaders in the American church, yeah, um, fall off. And uh, to me, at, at the heart of it, the whole thing of pride. I mean, we can be a Christian, a leader, a teacher, a writer, and and you know it it, it becomes all about me. Yeah. And Satan is there. I mean, to me, the fall of Satan was pride. Adam and Eve, it was, I want to be like God. And what, what's, how can we help that area? I mean, I'm sure, you know, Satan 
I mean, you're a leader. I'm a leader in our own little realms and so on. And we know that the enemy, if he can do, if he can get a leader, a pastor, you know, somehow derailed with immorality or, you know, whatever, cockiness, pride, whatever, um, that he can take a whole bunch of folks with him. What's the antidote to this, my brother? What what do you see? It's a great question, and it is a, a, a huge contemporary concern in yeah. America, especially. Yeah. And pr- you're right. Pride is often at the, at the core of it. When, yeah. when someone uh, is gifted as a communicator and uh, builds a church based on his powerful mm-hmm. form of, of preaching and so forth, um, sometimes they begin to see that as a product of themselves and not yeah. of God. Yes. And, uh, you know, I think in a practical mm-hmm. sense, though, um, one of the things we see in America are, um, uh, you know, the structure of local churches. Um, uh, they tend to be very independent. Mm-hmm. And uh, you look at the Southern Baptists, and I've been part of Southern Baptist churches, um, mm-hmm. teaching pastors at two Southern Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very independent. There's yeah. no overarching uh, oversight to mm-hmm. the churches from a bishop or a larger. And and you have to ask yourself, um, how is this church, how is this local church being held accountable? Mm. Um, So I remember, um, you know, I grew up in a, grew up when I was, uh, after I came to faith, in an interdenominational church. So we were locally governed. We didn't have oversight from a bishop or a larger structure. Um, But we had a a board of trustees, an elder board, that would oversee the church, people drawn from the congregation who had the power to fire people uh, if they wanted to. I mean, they could fire the senior pastor if they wanted sure, to. Sure. Um, and then I see other churches where the elder board is made up of staff people in the mm. church. Well, they don't have the power to fire the senior no, pastor. No, no, no. They'd be they fired their own really boss. Work. Yeah, right. that would not work. Yeah. And, and in some churches, and this is a trend, mm-hmm. in some churches, the overseers are not local people. They are pastors at other churches in other okay. communities okay. who get together periodically and, and give oversight. Well, you can't give true oversight that way. Mm-hmm. So I really think there's a structural problem in a lot of churches. Who is holding the churches accountable? And I think we need independent um, um um, elder boards of mm-hmm. people who are qualified scripturally to be elders and who provide um, um, oversight, prayer, but also guidance for that local mm-hmm. congregation um, yeah. and, and have the power to say, well, wait a minute, this is, we're going off half cocked here. We're, we're yeah. too, much, too full of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's, there's wisdom and plurality and, and so many churches in America are ruled by one yeah. highly, charismatic with a small C yeah, uh, sure. leader yeah. uh, who um, kind of bowls everybody over with the power of their personality. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's a formula for disaster. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And I recently uh, interviewed uh, a good friend uh, who's been a pastor for many years and he's at one cry. He's the, the, the uh, person that's in charge of prayer at one cry, which is a nationwide call for spiritual awakening. I used to be associated with them more, yeah. more closely but he talked also about the need for unity in a community among true Christians. That, yeah. And we, we, we really suffer from that here in the Grand Rapids area, to be honest with you. We're very divided. And I, I really think, you know, Jesus' prayer in John 17, that we be one, I think we're, we're frustrating that. But yeah. in addition to that, he says that not only do we need to confess sins as individuals, which we do, 
but there can be corporate sins as well. There can be like community-wide sins of the church. Yeah. And he pointed to a number of times there in Texas where he's living, where the community did come together as, as community of faith and, and confess their community-wise or corporate sins. And they yeah. saw a great upsurge in evangelism and God blessing and healing. I mean, it, it does bring up, you know, the second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. And maybe we need more of that in this country, more yeah. unity, true unity, not just holding hands and singing kumbaya, but, you know, the, the genuine followers of Jesus working yeah. together. Yeah, we have different denominations and different perspectives on the details. But if we're truly, you know, saved by faith in Christ alone, who died for our sins and so on, and he comes to live inside of us and filled in with the Spirit, um, we can disagree on the details, but we need yeah. that. And and as a community, say, Lord, is there a is there something corporately that we need to confess as a community? I think that's yeah. a breakthrough point as well that, that we need yeah. to be talking more about. I think you're right. And, and um, you know, it's interesting that the word denomination and the word denominator have a commonality. In other words, that's true. Uh, a, a true denomination yeah. uh, we have common denominators with. Uh, there's, there's the death, the atoning death and yeah. uh, resurrection of Jesus. There's certain things that we yeah. all agree on. And, and why don't we agree to disagree on some peripheral issues? Absolutely. Uh, and yes. let's focus on the gospel where we can have unity. Amen. And, and, you know, and I love it when I speak at a church. Uh, I travel the country and, and yeah. the world and speak at a lot of local churches. And I love it when I'm in a local church where they take time during the service on Sunday to pray for other churches in the community. I totally agree. It's, it's Isn't that refreshing. Great? Yeah, it's, great. it's, 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 that's a good word. It's refreshing. It it's, is. It's like, it's, boy, and I think I can see Jesus. We had a, a prayer summit and we had about a hundred folks from 45 different churches. This is back a month or so ago. And yeah. I just, Somehow, as I prayed, I could see Jesus smiling. Yeah. He loves that. That's yeah. that's an answer to his prayer in yes. John 17. Yes, exactly. All right. As we kind of bring the plane down for a landing here, you you travel a lot. You know, you, you got your pulse on lots of what's going on. Do you, do you feel hopeful about where things are going with the church in America? And if so, why? Give some hope to Mr. Average Christian out there that's kind of discouraged by how he sees things in our country today. I, I do have hope. And, and one of the reasons is I have good friends like Shane Pruitt and, and Greg Steer who are involved with youth ministry in America. Okay. And, you know, when I talk to them and hang out with them and hear their stories about how young people are responding to the gospel. That's in great. Huge numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, it just reminds me the gospel still works. Okay. And if it can transform a, a hard-headed, hard-hearted, narcissist, uh, hedonist like me into a follower of Jesus. Mm. He can change anybody. I love and, it. You know, so I, I, in fact, I did a book a while in 2015 called The Case for Grace. Oh, and I just nice. told stories of God's amazing power. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says yeah. that when we come to faith in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Yeah. God changes our values, our character, our morality, our worldview, our attitudes, our relationships. And, and so I'm encouraged when I, because I see that all the time. Uh, and um, uh, I, when I see churches come alive, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Sure. Uh, you know, the Duck Dynasty people have a lot of uh, sure. 
uh, you know, popularity around the country. And one yeah, of them, yeah. the guy who runs that thing is a guy named Willie Robertson, who is a, a strong follower of Jesus. And he heard me speak on our six stage process. And, okay, and yeah. he went to his local church where he attends. And he said to the pastor, I want to be the evangelism point leader of our local church as a volunteer. And the pastor said, great, go, go for it. So he, he sent me a note. I, I wish I could read it to you. I have to find it on my yeah, yeah. phone. But he sent me a note um, about um, March 30th of this year, hmm. uh, of last year. Okay. It, it, so it was like three months that they had been initiating this new approach to sure. evangelism in the local yeah. church. And he was just so excited. He said, we have baptized over 100 people at our little church so far this year, which is more than the entire time last year. He said, we've seen people coming to faith right and left. And, and it, he said, it, 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 the air is like carbonated with excitement in our local church. Oh, I love it. And, and so when I see that, when I see churches yes. come alive, yes. um, I can't help but be optimistic. Lee, can we get those six things? Are they listed somewhere, like on your website and so on, those six points that you made? Yes. Yes. My friend okay. uh, and okay. the, the executive director of our center, Mark Middleberg, has written a book. Oh, uh, I know called, Mark. Yeah. Uh, I've heard him speak. He's yeah. Great. He's awesome. Yeah. And uh, he leads our local ce our center yeah. at the university. And he's written a book called um, uh, Building a, C a Contagious Church. Oh, awesome. Awesome. And that church goes into deep on all those six points okay, and, uh, great. Okay. and then if people want to take a course in that yep. uh, online yep. at their own pace they can go to strobelcenter.com and sign up for that oh that's good well lee thank you so much for spending this time with me sure. and I, I i really believe that god's going to touch many many lives through this podcast would you close us in prayer yes thank you Father, I thank you for uh, your gospel, for the truth of your word. I yeah. thank you for the reality of the Christian faith, that it's not make-believe, it's not wishful thinking, it's not mm -hmm. mythology or legend, yeah. but it's based on a solid foundation of truth. Mm -hmm. And so we celebrate that, and we celebrate the fact that your gospel still works, lives are still being changed. Yes. We pray you would give us sensitivity, but boldness. Mm -hmm. You would give us a strategic approach to how we can breathe new life into uh, churches around our country and beyond uh, for, the, uh, for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel mm -hmm. uh, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lee, what a treat. Thank you so much for spending this time. God, God bless you, sir. God richly bless you, my friend. We'll be in touch. Okay, terrific. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to grandawakening.org. That's grandawakening.org.